God is good. All the time. All right, we're going to do a little, uh, a little interaction here to begin my message. When I go like this, I need you all to say thank you. Let's try it. Boy, am I really going to work you hard today. Think nothing of it. Here we go. Does life ever seem unfair? Does, does life ever seem unjust? It seems unfair to me all the time. I remember when my wife Melissa was diagnosed with cancer early last summer. One of my grandsons asked, how could this happen to Nana? She's the best person we know. Throughout human history, a persistent complaint of humanity has been that life isn't fair. So we demand justice, but is justice what we really want? Honestly, is absolute justice what we really want? Early in my ministry, I was invited to discuss the legal system in our rural county and probe ways to make it more equitable. It seemed the rich were getting off and the poor were going to jail. And it just didn't seem just. I was surrounded by members of the law enforcement community and the criminal justice system. To this day, I have no idea why it was there. The topic was a more just legal system. One of the panel members, a our probation officer, young probation officer at the time, said something I have never forgotten. And I'm just going to quote him right now. There will never be justice in our legal system until every single person who commits an identical crime receives identical punishment. Well, I thought about that. The first thing I thought when he said it is he's right. And the second thing I noticed is how poorly it went over. I mean, it went over really poorly. He suggested objective, equitable justice. And nobody liked it at all. Nobody. I've thought about justice a lot over the years, but particularly in recent years. Not because of what's going on in our culture, but because I'm getting old. You say, Shane, you're not getting old. Then you have a different mirror than I do. Everybody seems clamoring for justice these days. At times it appears that it's irrespective of stubborn things like facts and laws and processes. When I really dig down into justice, I am convinced that most folks don't want objective law at all. They want things to go their way. They want things to go their way. And when things don't go their way, they conclude that justice was not served. And when things go their way, no matter how unjust, they conclude that justice was served. We think we want justice. I'm just not sure. Justice seems to be what we want for others. Can I hear an amen for somebody? somebody. Justice seems to be what we want for others. We would like a more subjective version of justice for ourselves. For example, I doubt there's a single person here who has ever been stopped for speeding simply because you were speeding. 
who refused to take a warning ticket because objective justice demanded you be issued a full ticket. I bet there's not a person here. Some years back, I was ticketed in a nearby city because I was not wearing a seatbelt. Yes, my friends, your pastor was riding dirty. (laughs) Church had just let out, and we were going to a certain restaurant, and it was full. And I didn't want to wait 30 minutes, so we decided we would just go to the next restaurant. And while I was going from one restaurant to another restaurant in full sight, the red lights were on behind me. And I had no idea why. Well, I was clearly pulled over. It was clearly me that was the object of this traffic stop. So I I sat there waiting. You know how it goes. You pull over and you hope they go on by. And they didn't. So I'm sitting there, and they don't come right away. They want you to think about what you have done. (laughs) And every single person who had attended church that morning drove by. (laughs) All of them, most of them pointed. (laughs) Finally, the officer got out of the car, approached me. And I was curious to know the nature of my infraction. And I said, sir, why was I stopped? He said, failure to fasten your seatbelt. And I giggled. (laughs) I did. I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no, I'm not kidding at all. He said, "I, I don't write these laws. My job is to enforce these laws. The city wants us to enforce these laws now so that everybody gets the message and your seatbelt was not on. So I explained that I had just left church where I had preached. Yes, I played that card. (laughs) And that I had gone to one restaurant right there and it was full. Go in and ask them. And I was going to this restaurant right there. But for maybe 50 yards, I suppose, I was in my car without a seatbelt. And those were the 50 yards that got me. And I received a full ticket and had to pay. Have I mentioned that justice is what we want for others? Today, King... David appeals for justice. Now you need to understand, David was guilty of all kinds of stuff. But apparently on this specific issue, he is completely innocent. My response to King David would be, man, I I don't know how far I'd push this. Melissa and I had a discussion yesterday and I brought something up. And she said, do you really want to go there? And I said, no. (laughs) And I, I sit here and I think, David, do you really want to go here? I mean, you are guilty of all kind of things. Bathsheba, David, 
You're guilty of all kinds of things. Do you really want to push on this one? Are you really claiming that you are completely innocent? Well, welcome to Soul Salsa 2023. We've been approaching a different psalm every Sunday. We've gone from Psalm 10 now to 17. This is the last Sunday of the series. Uh, the Sunday after Labor Day, I'll be starting a brand new series called Yeshua Nazarea. And it's just Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to look at the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount in their own context. Just completely just Jesus is all we're going to do. And we're going to see how radical those teachings are. Next summer, I'm just going to pick right up with this series because I've enjoyed it. None of you have complained. So uh, we're going to pick right up with Psalm 18 and we'll be doing Soul Salsa 2024, as odd as that seems. All right, for the purpose of this series, we've engaged in five definitions. If you are new to Christ Church, maybe you're our guest for the first time, this will give you a good glimpse into the vibe of our congregation. Let's take a look. Soul, the essence of every human being. Salsa, an upbeat, exciting, dynamic, and attractive life. That's the end game. Church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. We'll talk more about that in a minute. A Christian, a disciple of Christ, filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. That is what we're shooting for. Number five, ministry, the heart-pounding dynamic work we do as the physical presence of Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, Pastor, is this hyperbole? No. No. This is where we are headed. This is what we are expecting fully in the life of this church. Let's take a look at this psalm of innocence. Verse 1. O Lord, hear my plea for justice. Listen to my cry for help. Pay attention to my prayer for it comes from honest lips. In the Bible, most prayers are for mercy, not justice. Because let's be real honest. We need mercy more than we need justice. Can I hear an amen? We need mercy more than we need justice. I mean, do you really want justice? Do you want a monitor installed in your car that automatically bills your credit card $150 every time you exceed the speed limit? Is that really what you're wanting? Regardless, David maintains his innocence. In this matter, anyway, verses two and three. Declare me innocent, for you see those who do what is right. You've tested my thoughts, examined my heart in the night. You've scrutinized me and found nothing wrong. We received a letter from our county this week. They seem to think we have livestock on our secluded property and reminded us of zoning. And I was sitting there thinking, unless livestock can climb trees, there would really be nowhere for livestock to be. So when I got the letter, I couldn't wait to call the number. I couldn't. I couldn't wait to call the number. So I called the number and I informed them, we have no livestock. None. None. There's Melissa, there's me, and there's two rescue dogs. That's it. That's all we've got. No livestock. I felt like when I got that letter, I got pulled over despite the fact I had my seatbelt on. I felt like when I got that letter, I got stopped for speeding when I was going under the speed limit. 
You know, it's amazing how anxious we are to prove our innocence in those rare occasions when we're actually innocent. You ever notice that? I mean, David has opened his heart to God. He's offered full discovery into his heart on this matter. And he is convinced he is completely innocent. David is saying to the Lord, I have no livestock on my property. Come and look. There's none. Now David formally testifies as to his innocence. Verses 3 and 5. And he gives us some really interesting advice on how we should behave ourselves when we are unjustly accused. I love this. Four things. If you're new to the church, I often give lists because I love lists because I'm a boomer. That's just how it goes. We love lists. I love lists. But when I give you a list, I didn't just make it up. It comes straight out of the scripture. I am not here on Sunday mornings sharing my opinions with you. I am trying to make the word of God come alive to you, put it in a context, and I let the author do the author's own speaking. He gives us four things, how to handle ourselves when we are falsely accused. Number one, he said, I have not spoken evil. David has shown impulse control. A lot of times when we think we're getting a bad deal, Our impulses fly all over the place. And sometimes we didn't do anything wrong initially, but the way we handled it was so wrong, we end up with a separate mess. David says, Lord, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do any of that. Here's what I need you to hear. The unjust actions of others is never justification for you to act poorly. Never. Because others do the wrong thing, it is never a justification for you to do the wrong thing. Number two, he's followed God's commands. David says, I'm not going to allow how other people deal with things. Create something in me where I do not follow God's commands. So he has followed his commands. Number three, he says, I've not followed the wicked. He isn't doing what other people do. How many times do we do something? We know it's not good, but we say everybody does it. That is no excuse. We are not just anybody. We are God's people. David says, I have not followed the wicked. Number four, he has stayed on God's path. He's been intentional during this painful process. The more pain you experience in your life, the more discontinuity you experience in your life will require more and more intentionality in how you handle it. And I can tell you this, it is how we handle ourselves in the worst times in life that provides our most powerful witness to others. We learned that through Melissa's cancer ordeal. You go through things, but when you deal with them in faith-filled ways, it is a powerful witness to many. When you're going through it, never forget there are people watching. And this may be your opportunity to make the most powerful witness you will ever make in your lifetime. And then number five, David has been unwavering. He says, I've not wavered from following you. One of the things I love about Christ Church is that we have been unwavering. In the 27 years now that I've I've been here, everything in our culture has changed. But the word of God God has not changed, and Christ Church has not changed. We have stood firm 
and we have stood strong. We have been unwavering. Jim Isaac and I were walking in to the sanctuary this morning. And it's not lost on me that this is the last Sunday of August. Boy, I remember 15, 20 years ago, the last Sunday of August, somebody'd say, How many people were at church? And you'd say, Well, there was Jill, and there was, you know, I mean, there was nobody here. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, I took a look before I, I walked in to this service. We've had four, three Sundays in a row in August, and today will almost certainly be the fourth, where we have had over 4,000 people a week participate in worship here in Christ Church. It is unbelievable to me. And I think about all those times that it was really tough, but we stood for God anyway. We stood for biblical truth. We maintained that we are going to do this in Christian love. And I remember in those times, everybody was criticizing us. And I remember wondering if we would even have a church. But whether or not we had a church was not the point. Standing unwavering for God was the point. And we stood firm in our best years. In in 2018, when we were recognized as one of the fastest growing churches in the United States, we averaged about 2,400 a week. Did I mention we've been over 4,000 three weeks in a row in August? God has been faithful. Despite making a case for his complete innocence in this unnamed matter, had to occur to David that he was guilty of sin in several other issues. Several other things he was not so innocent in. And maybe that's the realization that kind of prompts him to lean into another element into his appeal for justice. He's going to lean into the love and the mercy of God. Rather than focus on his claim that he's been good this time, he's going to focus on the fact that God is good all the time. Verse 6, I'm praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Did you know prayer is an act of faith? And did you know you don't have to be completely righteous to pray? In fact, the one prayer that God always wants to hear is a prayer of of repentance from a sinner. You say, God is merciful. Yes, God is merciful. But there's not one occasion in the Bible where God's mercy is extended to the unrepentant. God's mercy always comes to the repentant. A prayer for repentance is a prayer God always wants to hear. Always. So he says, I'm praying to you because I know you will answer. Just praying is an act of faith. When you pray, you're saying there is a God. That God has the power to act in my situation. That God loves me enough to do so. And I can trust how things turn out to God's providence. Those are acts of faith. Any prayer is an act of faith. We don't pray because we're completely innocent. We pray because God is completely loving. So I want to look at the petitions of this prayer. There there are eight of them. These are eight petitions of a prayer. First one, and and, and again, the, the Psalms will always show us how to pray. Most of us pray the same things over and over and over and over. We say, man, it's hard to have much of a prayer life. Yeah, if you're only praying for one thing over and over, it's going to be hard. But 
I've been suggesting throughout the summer, we need to start praying the things the Bible tells us to pray. So here's eight things the Bible says that we are to pray. Number one, show me your love. In fact, the Hebrew says, show me your unfailing love in wonderful ways. Dear God, show me your love in wonderful ways. Have you ever prayed that? It's a good thing to pray. Show me your love, dear God. Number two, rescue me. I bet you've prayed that. Rescue me. Number three, from verse eight, guard me. The Hebrew is interesting here. It says, guard me as you would your own eyes. You know, the eyes are, are simply vulnerable. One of the things I least like to do is, is weed eat. I hate it. We are on six acres, and weed eating takes a long time. And not only that, when I'm done weed eating around the woods, I feel like I've been in a blender with the weeds. It's all over me. There's all kinds of sticky stuff. And I'm just a mess. And I get poison ivy. And it's terrible. I do not enjoy weed eating at all. But I got to tell you something. When I weed eat, I'm wearing something over my eyes. I mean, I'm wearing something over my eyes. How could weed eating get any worse? If a rock flew into my eye, that would be worse. I'm protecting the eyes. And what this says is, Lord, protect, rescue me, then guard me as you would your own eyes. A guard stands between a person and potential harm. A guard places themselves there. Lord, place yourself there. Place yourself between me and harm. That's a good prayer. Number four, hide me. Hide me. And what it really says is hide me in the shadow of your wings. The Bible is primarily patriarchal. There are some books that are written by women, but the Bible has overall patriarchal orientation. So we don't get a lot of female images of God. But one of the persistent female images of God is God as a hen. I mean, you don't really see that. We, we got, you know, Lion of Judah. People put a big lion on a t-shirt. Nobody really puts a hen on a t-shirt to show how great God is. But uh, th these metaphors are there all the time. Jesus used the metaphor. And the idea is when danger comes to a hen who has a brood of chicks, the chicks run underneath her wings. She, she covers them. She hides them. Now, something may be able to get to the hen, but they're not going to be able to get to the chicks without going through the hen. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. We can run to God when danger is around. He will hide us. Number five, protect us. Protect us from wicked people for they are like hungry lions, eager to tear us apart. I got to tell you, David is never above reminding God as to how hideous his, his enemies are. He just says, Lord, look at them. You be the judge. You look at their motives. You look at what they're saying. You be the judge here. I've certainly prayed that in my life, haven't you? God, you be the judge here. Take a look. That's what David's doing. And then he says in number six, I love this, arise on my behalf. He summons the power of God. Did you know prayer summons the power of God? I think we need to pray less what we want God to do, and we need to pray more. God, show up in our situation, be present in our situation, and do what you want to do. 
Arise on my behalf, O Lord. And then number seven, destroy my enemies. You say, well, that, that sounds a little aggressive. Well, it is a little aggressive, but not as aggressive as you think. Did you know the old, the old saying in the Old Testament, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, is not a law of vengeance? It's, it's a law that limits vengeance. What it's really saying is if someone puts your eye out, all you can do is put their eye out. If somebody knocks your tooth out, all you can do is knock their tooth out. You can't kill them because they knocked your tooth out. It's a law of restraint. This is also a law of restraint. Because God says, because David says to God, destroy my enemies. That means David does not have to be the executor of justice for all of his enemies. David is not the one who will make those calls. God will judge David's enemies. And God will judge your enemies as well. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Let God take vengeance. You forgive. You move on with your life. Let God address your enemies. You don't have to do that. And then number eight, satisfy my needs. Satisfy my needs. It says, but satisfy the hunger of, of your treasure ones. May your children have plenty to eat and may they leave an inheritance to their descendants. This is a promise. If we do the right things the right way, we will get the right results in the right time. As a church, if we stand firm for God, even if everyone in this culture is lambasting us for doing it, if we stand in biblical truth, if we stand in Christian love, God will protect us, God will guard us, and God will meet our needs. But the end of this psalm is really worth noting. Verse 15, because I am righteous, I will see you. When I'm awake, I will see you face to face. And be satisfied. Every now and then, I'll see somebody that has, a, ta- has a, a tattoo on their arm, and I ask them about it. But one of the tattoos I see fairly regularly is, you are not my judge. And I agree with that 100%. I'm not that person's judge. They're not my judge. I, I want to give you some great news. I am not your judge. And I have even better news. You are not my judge. But just because you tattoo that on your arm doesn't mean there won't be a judgment. I mean, that person would be foolish to think there won't be a judgment. When it's all said and done, God will be our judge. And the righteous will be vindicated and the wicked will be destroyed. So as we close this summer series, I want to return to my opening question. Is objective justice what we really want? Is blind justice what we really want? And if we get it, will any of us be able to meet that standard? As I get older, I think more about eternity. I just do. And at the end of the day, I am not going to place my eternal hope in my complete and absolute innocence in every conceivable matter. That's not where I'm going to put my hope. I don't have livestock on my property, granted. But that seatbelt really wasn't fastened. And this Orwellian driver's app that I put in my car, like to save me like $4 a month, it tells me that I sometimes exceed the speed limit. You see, my hope is not that I will 
absolutely get everything right 100% of the time. I'm going to try to. But my hope is in the love and mercy of God. My hope is not in my righteousness. My hope is in Jesus. Now, you say, well, this is really the Psalms, and you're going to end by talking to Jesus. This is like history classes in the state of Illinois. They will get to Lincoln. All right? And we are going to get to Jesus, and we're going to end right here with Jesus. There's an injustice deeply hardwired into the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's encapsulated in this verse from Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's the deal. We are all straight up sinners. None of us are righteous. Not one. And even if we're innocent of this, we're surely guilty of that. Paul states in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Theologically, there are no degrees of sin. Sin literally means to miss the bullseye that God has set for our lives. Sin isn't so much what you do wrong. Sin is being anything less than everything you were created to be. And you can miss a target high or low, left or right, by a little or by a lot. We are all sinners. And just one sin, one sin puts us in permanent guilt. And because of any one sin in our life, we deserve death and hell. That is the demand of the objective justice of the universe. It's completely fair. And it's what we 100% deserve. And if we claim our innocence in all matters and demand justice, it's exactly what we'll get. Yet, because of the work of Christ and our professed faith in Christ, we're not going to get justice. It's actually the best news ever. Christians are not going to get what we deserve. We're going to get far, far better than we deserve. We're going to get forgiveness and redemption and restoration and abundant life and, yes, heaven to boot. How's that for a great deal? The place you start is by asking Jesus into your life. If you've never asked Jesus into your life or if you want to make a recommitment to Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. We're just going to pray a prayer together and just open our hearts and take that first step and moving beyond what we deserve and realizing God has far better for us. Would you pray with me? Let's just pray this aloud. Almighty God, thank you for loving me. And I love you too. I know I've sinned and ask you to forgive me. Jesus, come into my life fresh and new. Make your home in me. Make me into the person you created me to be. I pray it in your strong name. Amen. Look at me and say, I am a Christian. Look at me and say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. Look at somebody else and say, I am a Christian. I am a Christian. The Bible says we profess with our mouth unto salvation. We have opened our hearts. And if you ask Jesus to come into your life, I want to proclaim Jesus came into your life. What next? Today, after 11 o'clock church, probably be about 12, 15, 12, 30, we're going to have an outdoor baptism service. 
If you've never been baptized before and you just accepted Jesus now, or if you've never been baptized, we're going to give you an opportunity to be baptized today out in the courtyard, outdoors. If you'd like to come and celebrate with us, we would love to have you do that. But I'm going to ask if you would like to be a part of that, come right up front, right after this worship service. Reverend Carmen will be here and she can give you some instructions. I can tell you right now, we have nine people who are already scheduled to be baptized. And so we are excited about that. What's the next step? Lean in. Lean in. I'm going to invite the communion stewards to come forward and ask you to pray with me. Great and mighty God, thank you for these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be Christ's body in this world redeemed by his blood. Dear God, we know in our own righteousness we've got nothing. But because of our faith in what Christ has done, our sins are forgiven. And we stand holy before you. Dear God, forgive us. Forgive us for the things we do we shouldn't and the things we shouldn't that we do and free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. And now give us strength for this journey. Give us strength and good courage that we may know if we stand firm for you that you've got us in Jesus' name. Amen. You do not have to be a member of Christ Church to receive the elements. We take intinction by taking a little piece of bread and just dip it in the juice. If you would prefer to have pre-packaged containers or gluten-free elements, right here in the center, we would love to serve you those elements. So just make your way to the center and they would be served that way. There's stations at both sides of the balcony as well. You don't have to be a member of Christ Church to take communion here. You just need to be somebody who wants to follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I invite you to follow Jesus with me.